Welcome to The Five, a podcast built to inform nonprofits about critical functions that will improve their organization. I'm your host, Eric Morcheski, CEO and co-founder of Nimble Strategies. We are bringing The Five to you as a part of our company's five-year anniversary celebration with thought leaders from across the country. Welcome to The Five. We're here today with my friend, Michael Freebly, the Associate Principal of Perkins Eastman. Michael, why don't you tell us a little bit about your background? Well, thanks for having me on, Eric. It's really great to always have a conversation with you around really any topics, but especially as we're talking about nonprofits today. I'm a native of the St. Louis region, and I practice architecture as well as have taught human-centered design and also a, uh, a writer as well. So I tend to love to see architecture from different perspectives in the built environment. And you know, I think St. Louis was always a platform for that. And now the communities that I've lived in in Dallas and now Minneapolis have been great places to understand the impact of the built environment amongst people. So I guess for me, I work on a number of different project types, mainly focusing on design. But I do feel that design needs to understand all those critical mediums to really create great places that last. I am an associate principal with Perkins Eastman. Uh, we are a larger firm in the realm of design. But a draw from me to the firm was our mantra, which is human by design. I would say that the projects that we really participate in are always focused on bettering the human condition. And we really take a lot of opportunities to understand how communities can be built through design, uh, but also how we think about sustainability, inclusivity as really essential to everything that we do. And so, you know, for the 1100 people that will work within our organization, there's a very strong common goal that I think ties us all together. And so I'm going to share some projects today and some stories along with the questions I'm sure you're going to ask me, but I think that's always been, you know, something of interest is how those factors kind of tie in. Uh, one quick story, you know, how Eric and I met. I was working on projects in China about four years back, and I have done so for some time. And we got this weird ask by a client in a small town of Hengyang, uh, where two rivers met. They said they wanted to build a gateway to their culture and to their future. And so we took many different uh, planes, trains, buses down to this uh, smallish city of 1.5 million people. And sitting in the middle of the room was a model of the Gateway Arch to scale and a drawing set of the Gateway Arch on the table. And they said, you know, we want to build this. What do you think? And so all of the St. Louis enemy was cringing. <laughs> and I said, please, please don't uh, build that. But I think we could do something better. And so they asked, um, you know, we want to host a competition. And do you know the architect? And I said, Aero Saarinen was the architect of Gateway Arch. And they said, well, could you call him and ask him to be a judge? I was like, well, uh, that might be tough, but I can see what I can do. And so I gave Eric a call and said, hey, do you want to fly to China and take part in this competition, which I'm sure you probably thought was the strangest ask that you could ever get. But you did, and you saw some pretty uh, wacky ideas, including our own. But you know, I always thought that was kind of interesting how we have uh, kind of crossed paths and become friends since. So, um, and why I've always appreciated conversations with you. So, looking forward to uh, the discussion. Gotten to do a lot of work in and out of China, and so it was not the strangest ask I've ever received. <laughs> there was some beautiful design, although there was also some questionable feasibility to some of the design 
that that was being proposed at the time. But maybe that's what inspires uh, beauty and, and opportunity within communities. And maybe that's that's why we're here today is to talk about designing your nonprofit and why does design play a role in a nonprofit organization? What what's the importance of it to an organization? Well, I think for a nonprofit to be successful in my mind, and I'll first say that I think nonprofit organizations asking us to be on their team as a partner for design is one of the most exciting asks that we can get because you're getting really a number of different perspectives in the room. Uh, a nonprofit could be very community focused as in most cases they are, but you also go get to interact with a very experienced board in most cases, um, as well as a staff that's really invigorated by the mission and to be able to bring all those pieces together along with how a nonprofit really fits within its context and within its city and its community, I think really lends itself to a unique perspective and how us as designers can really shape places, spaces, or even just, you know, programming in a really creative way. And so, you know, I think for all those projects that we've been working on, and we've had a few recently, They've always kind of opened up our eyes to new opportunities in the ways that we think about the communities that we're interacting with. I think there's no better project type to do that. It's a really good point. I think nonprofits are there to be community-based, and by that very nature, you get a lot of passion and drive behind it that maybe isn't always there behind every project that's going on in the community if it's not, if it's not a community-based project. So hopefully when people start thinking about design and nonprofits, they're understanding that there's a great value to that community-based approach and in the value it drives to the community. It's also why hopefully nonprofits are able to raise funds is because they're supporting their community in a positive manner. With that said, let's talk about the five keys to designing for your nonprofit and what that means to you and, and what those five keys would be. What are you first looking at when you're starting down that path? Well, I think for us, we want to make the most impact through design as possible. And we also know that nonprofits come with, you know, certain budget constraints and capital that can really be spent on the entire duration of the design process. And so, you know, we don't want to come in and waste time or money. And I think our first question that we often ask our clients is, you know, the clarity of mission, you know, what what are your goals? What are your pains? What are your opportunities? What are your ambitions? And through that, I think we can definitely evaluate whether or not we can make an impact together. We certainly you know, would love to. But I think that clarity of mission is really something that shows that there's a strong, a strong mission statement, a strong set of goals that we know that we can kind of work from to create a series of workshops, create a series of steps that really get us there as well as to understand how we can craft meaningful conversation moving forward. I think I've been on both ends of the perspective where you see how clarity of mission really unlocks a number of opportunities in the design process. You know, even how architecture, in the case of the project that we're working on in Tulsa with the George Kaiser Foundation, has kind of translated into the details of the building. The building is actually expressing the clarity of the organization's mission. I've been parts of other projects too where there's a lot of input. There's a lot of goals that are from within the organization, but it has become a bit of a challenge in how you navigate those goals. 
and how you could really understand how to make an impact. And I think that's where you come in, Eric, from a nimble strategies perspective is it's like that step needs to come before and helping someone to understand their mission further before then coming to the design team to really help to express it. I think clarity of mission in place, I think we get to kind of my second piece, which is really context as a medium. Nonprofits, I feel, are the strongest when they understand how to grow from within as well as how to grow with the outside as an influence. I think context can mean everything from social, political, physical connections. And really that, I think, becomes the exciting part of how we can create places for nonprofit organizations is how you start to think about the dialogue between those pieces together. Again, with the project in Tulsa, you know, the typical living model, and in this case, we've done a pretty large kind of multifamily project for the organization. The typical model of those types of projects really locks a lot of things in. It's really about kind of security and about creating community within itself. And in this case, as a housing project for nonprofit organizations, those are coming into the city through Tulsa Remote, it really became an opportunity for the building to read uh, like the community is really trying to interact with it. So we focused a lot on transparency. We focused a lot on breaking down barriers, how you can create opportunities to stitch the project in. And I think it kind of gets into the third point of anticipatory design. You know, we do feel that successful design projects need to start through kind of that urban design lens that starts to bring all these areas of focus together and how you could start to think about the typical models of or the typical typologies of design in a very different way to influence what can happen around the city. I think nonprofit organizations have the greatest impact when they're able to resonate and affect places around it. And, you know, always an influencer to me, when I think about that, is actually the Gateway Arch, a project that um, I think you're well aware of, where the grounds were really intended to stitch the city together and anticipate what can happen as a result of really invigorating a place that has meant so much to the city. So even though the short-term pains of having this construction site up next to you, I think of the Laclede's landing side, you know, now that those barriers are down, you really have long-term benefits now of a place that is starting to influence growth around it. That's really what I mean by anticipatory. And, you know, I think then it also lends itself to how we anticipate new relationships happening, new types of programming happening, which then I think plays into kind of the fourth point that I'd like to make that design should really be a medium to provoke and to support growth of a nonprofit organization. Meaning that I think all too often when you see a new museum project proposed, it's like we all kind of gravitate toward the, like it may be an AI driven form or something like maybe the museum looks like a fish or a shoe or whatever. And it's really dynamic. It's something that the city has never seen before, but I really think the most successful museums are the ones, or in actually places for nonprofits, are the ones that really harness and support the mission of the organization. Um, I think of a project that some colleagues and friends in New York uh, so well did with the Amant Foundation is a good example of that, where really design became really about the materials, 
the expression of the details and about moments where people can link and interact. But it's a very simple, very rooted form within a very complex neighborhood. And it really allows then the members of the organization then to you know, kind of experience it as they will. So maybe it's a whether you're taking an artist residency there or whether you're coming in to view the artwork or whether you're coming there for programming, the architecture is really kind of a piece of the backdrop or a piece of the story versus trying to be kind of the shout in your face moment. I think those projects are the ones that tend to last the most, which I think then leads really into the community centric, the incubation. I think the fifth part of this kind of chain of points is that the most successful places are the ones that are going to allow a nonprofit organization to grow, evolve, expand, contract, create potential over time. You know, I use the Boulder Project as an example because I'm excited to see the community start to call the place home and to really use the places as intended that we've created within to maybe grow relationships between nonprofits. For those coming in as part of Tulsa Remote, it becomes an opportunity to link with those that might start a business in the city and stay for a longer period of time. You know, we're working on a project now with uh, Swope Health in Kansas City for senior living and behavioral health, which is a bit different. But that point of convergence through kind of bringing community together at the heart is really meant to create a generational development in a part of the city that's been challenging because of redlining, but also it's a community that's very passionate about their growth and about what they've created in their neighborhood off Swope Parkway. And so this is another step to say that we honor all different types of conditions that we may be living in through an organization that's really trying to uplift the health and wellness of the community together. And that's been equally inspiring. I think overall, those five pillars are in place. You know, for me as a designer, it becomes the most inspiring of processes. And I think what's been great about it as well is we show those projects from that we've worked with nonprofit organizations on and we show those to for-profit developers. We show them to public-private partnerships often. And we find that a lot of those ideals are now being carried over into those realms because they see the impact of what's being created in these places. And so we hope that it's helping to change the built environment landscape overall for the better, not just for the organizations that we work with. Those are five great points. I think one of the things that first comes to mind for me is that while you're talking about this in the context of architecture, your points really apply to all pieces of design, whether it's a website, whether it's a logo, whether it's outreach to the community. Everything that you just hit on from clarity of mission and the context as a medium and anticipatory design and design's role to provoke and support in the idea of the project as community-centric. All of those hold true no matter what your design medium you're talking about is. And I think that's a really interesting piece for a nonprofit to take home out of this is that there is the ability to utilize it, whether you're going to build a new facility tomorrow or whether you're designing your new website or whether you're just looking at some new design materials to send out for fundraising. All of these apply and and should be thought through as, as that outreach goes on. You know, I've taught design and, you know, with human-centered design, it was an incredible eye-opening experience for me to teach that at SMU through the MADI program. 
and I hope you all look it up because it's an amazing program in terms of the partnerships that have been created through uh, the students and their work and through really driven faculty. But, you know, I think what it shows is that design is really rooted in everything that we do and in everything that you mentioned, Eric, it's like, you know, I'm talking about from an architecture standpoint, sure, but I really feel like these five points, you know, you can really think about design and anything that we do throughout an organization and apply those and they can create, you know, what we hope is meaningful impact. So, you know, I think one takeaway for anyone listening to this is that I do firmly believe that everybody designs in some way, shape or form. You know, I think it's it's no secret why design is becoming now kind of a prereq for a lot of universities now as well is because it design thinking can really unlock a lot of new potential that maybe we don't expect to come out of just the daily things that we do. And so, you know, I think those five points, I hope kind of shed some light on what, what kind of impact that can create, whether you're working in the fundraising efforts for an organization, whether you're working in the outreach for an organization, or whether that's what you're demanding your your design partner to do with you. I think that's, you know, it can be something that can transcend and create meaning. So all of these are great points. How do you see designing for nonprofits changing as we move forward into the future? Well, I think... From a design standpoint, we're kind of going through a bit of an evolution of sorts. Everyone's kind of seen the impacts of AI, you know, if it's taken through a very intentional way, it's helping the process to move forward a bit more expediently, which I think is then allowing our design teams more opportunity to interact with nonprofits in a meaningful way. Um, you know, I mentioned workshops and mentioned different types of interaction, you know, all the way up through the capital campaigning for most organizations. And I firmly believe the most important thing that a design team can do is become part of the nonprofit team. You hire us for a very specific and driven reason. And so, you know, I think to have a partner along the process is quite important. And, you know, having more time to be able to commit to that, I think, allows us to explore more opportunities to, you know, really understand what the organization is trying to achieve, which is a good thing. You know, I, I often think like the design process is too short. <laughs> and I would actually hope that nonprofits understand like, you know, giving us more time to explore is a good thing. I actually kind of see the value of competitions kind of waning a little bit. You know, I think you've seen a lot of competitions come out for different designs. I think we mentioned the St. Louis Arch is one example where there was a very large, you know, interest from around the world in how the site can transform. But I think the competitions as a way of getting bold ideas is changing. I think it's coming down more to focused effort that starts to bring the community more into the conversation of how decisions are made. I also think it's not necessarily looking for the like craziest design approach as you witnessed in China with us. I still don't understand how half of those projects proposed would ever be built or functional. But I think it's coming down more to the nuts and bolts of how it's fitting within a city. And I also think the competition process too, as we've talked about in the past, Eric, it's it's a healthy process to get conversation going. But now I see it as an opportunity to really partner with more organizations in the process as it makes sense. 
you know, I think one good example is the Great Rivers Greenway in St. Louis, how, you know, new pieces as they're added to the conversation over time become a conversation within communities. So, you know, I think from that standpoint, those are kind of two pieces that I think are really changing. I think uh, the artificial intelligence angle that you brought up initially, my first thought went to the idea that it probably brings new definition to AutoCAD um, mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, in, in its name, although I'm, I'm not even sure that that's really what most design firms are using anymore. But, you know, when I was working for Gallagher and Associates, that was the primary tool that a lot of our our design team used. And I think uh, AI factoring into it gives it maybe a new meaning when you say AutoCAD. Uh, But I think you're right. I I do think there's a change from the competition side to the community-driven side. And I think even organizations doing the competition side need to understand that this is an entry into a master plan and it's not a final design. And I think that's sometimes hard for people to understand as well as that ideation phase or master planning phase is not your final design process to it all. It's it, it's exactly that. It's an ideation that you can start to build from. That's a great point. Yeah, I think I talked about developing a place for a nonprofit and what it means to have longevity in that process. You know, we talked about with the arch there. I think goes to design as well, you know, really throughout that competition process or when you're hiring an architect or a designer to really take part in sort of understanding your future, you will more than likely from us get ideas, you know, because we want to show that we're passionate about the process and passionate about the project and what its impact could be. But it's not intended in most cases to be a final design, at least ones that I've worked on we will put something out there to show the potential of our partnership, but we want the opportunity to really shape it further with the organization as well as the community. I mean, it's just, I think designs that live in a vacuum and go forward are the ones that are the most detrimental and probably the ones that either close the soonest or um, just don't really perform in the way that they're intended because they didn't have any sort of involvement or any sort of voices in the conversation. It was just like, you know, the capital A architect comes in and sets the design down. It's like, you will love this. I think it still happens, but I do think that that period of design is kind of done. I hope. I think having enough process to move forward is also important too. You know, allowing ideas to kind of articulate over time is quite important. And we also need time to really understand our cities. And how they're evolving over time too. Cities can change so quickly. You know, you think about Minneapolis and all the events around George Floyd. I mean, it was just like overnight, there was a switch that was flipped. And not just here across the country, but I think what was interesting here was you saw this kind of new invigorated passion come out of it for community building. Uh, You saw designers looking at ways of kind of tactically understanding how to build community in a time where conversation was essential and it was needed, as well as I think now the discussion around programming and facilities for nonprofits takes on new meaning. It becomes about, you know, how do we open up the doors more to allow people in? How do we become more uh, stewards of our community? How do we start to think about speaking to other organizations? All that said, I think 
finding that throughout a design process and finding out how that evolution can fit in is also incredibly important. So, you know, I think I'm always an advocate for the long game. You know, I think of the lesson in St. Louis in the 60s where they brought the Spanish pavilion from the World's Fair in New York and they put it downtown and they were like, this will invigorate downtown and it closed within a year. You know, the impact of something immediate has not necessarily proven to be a good pathway for it. It's a, a good final reminder for everyone. I, I really appreciate you taking the time today and sharing design for nonprofits as as an idea. And I think hopefully people get a really strong message out of this and really useful information that they can apply to their whatever they're designing for their nonprofits in the future. So I really appreciate it. Thanks so much, Michael. Yeah, thanks for having me on. Thank you for listening to The Five. Subscribe to our channel and make sure you catch every episode of The Five and reach out to Nimble Strategies today for help with your nonprofit.